for May 25th, 2020. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 621, The Trip Cinematic Universe. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are your well, we're we're your smart, funny friends from the internet, but we're like uh, we're like people who go on the same trip over and over and over <laughs> for the last ten years. And that's, uh, you know, that's, that's where we are. We take this journey together, uh, once, once a week and we, uh, we take a look at the sites on, along the way and we, we make a meal of whatever we, uh, whatever we discuss. So how appropriate that we are going to talk about, uh, the recently released, uh, to digital streaming, The Trip to Greece, starring Steve Coogan and Rob Bryden. I'm Matt Rather. I'm here with my good friends, Pete Fenzel. Hello, Pete. Hey, Matt. And Mark Lee. Hello, Mark. Hello, Matthew. And uh, we're talking about, about these, these, uh, this series of movies, I guess, the Trip series, the Trip Cinematic Universe. Uh, so, look, he- here's what it was. Uh, I think, I don't know if it actually started with a newspaper article, but Steve Coogan, who is, okay, it starts with Steve, it starts with Steve Coogan, right? Uh, Steve Coogan is a, 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 a British comedian, um, and he is not someone who, uh, not someone Someone who a lot of Americans would recognize, though he has showed up in a lot of uh, American movies now. Um, I guess the biggest thing he did here is probably Philomena. He was in the Night at the Museum series, but not not like as a star of those movies. But he uh, wrote and starred in the the film Philomena with Judy Dench. Um, and yeah, that am I am I not doing Steve Coogan justice? I feel like you got to be. A, he had a brief but very memorable turn in Tropic Thunder. One of my favorite movies of all time, which I promise we will discuss in the Overthinking podcast at some point. Um, yeah, and and just a really good, you know, really good British comedian, and he became kind of pigeonholed for playing this extraordinarily popular in the UK character uh, named Alan Partridge, who was a fake newscaster, who was a newscaster, a character, and did was in all of these kind of satirical comedy things. Um, as as this character and sort of got you know one of the kind of uh mini kind of professional uh subplots of his life has been breaking out of this this particular character and uh he's a friend named rob bryden another british comedian uh less famous um a uh a family man whereas steve coogan is is divorced and sort of single uh and you know, they, uh, I guess Steve Coogan gets, at least this is the plot of the first series, um, gets a, uh, a commission to write a newspaper article, like a Sunday magazine, color magazine article, uh, going to the Lake District in the, the north of England and, uh, traveling around, tracing the path of Wordsworth and like, uh, uh, eating, staying at, you know, beautiful, beautiful, uh, hotels and eating decadent meals and, uh, writing about it. So doing kind of a travel log, um, kind of thing in the footsteps of, of the romantic, the romantic, 
Atlantic poets. So that's uh, the, and this was made directed by Michael Winterbottom uh, into a something like a six episode miniseries, and then cut down into a two hour movie, which was released internationally called The Trip. Um, and so it's it's a film in which these two guys, uh, Steve Kubikin and Rob Brydon, drive around together talk to each other, look at scenery and base and, you know, eat a meal every now and again. And it looks, they look very delicious and they're all very fancy and stuff. Um, and that's the plot of the, the, uh, film. So obviously, you know, with a, a breakout concept like that, it, it's going to necessitate a bunch of sequels. Uh, and so <laughs> they've done, uh, the trip to Italy, the trip to Spain, I think. And now, uh, recent, uh, recently released the trip to Greece, which I think they, they're talking about being the last one in this, um, in this particular series. And, you know, the, the, in the first one, like the, the two men sort of work out their midlife crises more or less. Uh, and, um, you know, they're, they're sort of competitive with each other. They both do impressions. And so a lot of the time is doing like competing versions of Michael Caine or competing versions of, uh, of Sean Connery at each other and, you know, doing bits, um, together, which always involve, uh, a certain amount of one-upsmanship. Like, um, the, in, in this film, for example, the, the, uh, running joke is that Steve Coogan has seven BAFTA awards, the, the, like the British Academy Awards, whereas Rob has, has none. And, um, and then they talk about whatever the, uh, they talk about whatever the, uh, you know, topic is for their, um, uh, for for their trip, so this the trip to Greece traces the path of Odysseus from Troy in modern day uh, in modern day Turkey to Ithaca. Uh, though um, you know, spoiler alert: Steve does not make it all the way to Ithaca. Rob does and has a homecoming with his wife Penelope. Uh, no, her name's not Penelope. I forget what her name is. Um, I don't know, Pete, have I done, have I done the, the film justice in, in this, like in a three sentences worth of justice in this description, or do you feel like I'm missing anything that is super germane? I think there's one thing that you've missed or that you've decided not to prioritize about the movies, which, and which of course are also TV series. I don't think that in the States you generally tend to see them as TV series, but I think in the UK you can watch them as TV series and the films are kind of edited down. And uh, in the case of the, the case of the trip to Greece, I kind of feel like it felt a little bit abbreviated, but I think the main thing that you left out either by design or just because you can't say everything about these things is that the high culture topic that's relevant to the place that they're going it then feeds into the content of their semi their semi improvisational conversations. Mm-hmm. So right, so like romanticism, right, and the Lake District are related, and and they they might be talking about something that doesn't feel related to it uh, when they're having their conversation, but but it is. And in the trip to Greece, that's very on the nose because it's kind of it's about the Odyssey and it's about comedy and tragedy, and uh, and, and and about mortality. And um, and so they have conversations throughout the movie that are related to these sort of Greek literary concepts. And even the structure of the movie also takes on, as you mentioned, right, the structure of the of the literary concepts. And so it is it is Frasier-esque 
in this respect in that it is like most of the comedy is pretty broad and it's, you know, them doing funny voices and, and playing fools and buffoons of various sorts, but there's just enough high culture to make people feel smart who want to feel smart when they watch comedy, which uh, I, yeah, I guess what I would, is how I would characterize why I liked Frasier also. It's like, Ooh, I'm smart. I get all the jokes in Frasier. <laughs> Some of them. Um, and, and, and it was course, your, it was your big bang theory. <laughs> if it was I, I mean that's a whole other conversation whether or not those two shows are similar or to what degree is an entirely different conversation but uh but yeah i mean i would think that so for example right um they are having a conversation in the trip to greece well okay so they fixate on different celebrities in each movie and in the movie about romanticism they focus a lot on michael Caine, right and they're constantly doing like michael Caine impressions there is a and famous, then, yeah, the famous like YouTube clip, which I'll find and, and put in the thing of them doing competing Michael Caine impressions. Yeah. And in the and in the movie about sort of epic and tragedy, they focus on Dustin Hoffman for whatever reason. Right. <laughs> Although Richard Gere also comes up. Right. Like there's a there's a whole there's a whole bit in the trip to Greece where Steve Coogan, you know, they're talking about how they're getting older and they talk about whether as men getting older makes them more or less attractive. And there, you know, he's he jokes at Steve Coogan's expense. And, oh, yeah, you're starting to look like Richard Gere. He's like, really? He's like, no, no, you're not. But the idea that like an older man is supposed to look on with a certain seriousness on things and is supposed to adopt this sort of gra- gra- gravitas. So that's more of a Roman concept, but this sort of like, um, you know, uh, sort of wor- worldly and, and storied and sculpted and serious and respected uh, is all kind of related to the notion of classicism as it plays into this movie as well. So I would I would say yes, there is some interplay between the ostensible and uh, apparent subject matter of the high and low ends of the movie that intersects with the other stuff you're talking about, which is that it's a these are travel movies about eating good food as much as anything, <laughs> right? like, like Bill Bryson is the guy I think of as being the the king of that stuff. Although I guess Anthony Bourdain, you know, peace be upon him, would have been uh, the one that most people would be most familiar with. Of course, putting aside Mr. Guy Fieri and his more uh, populist uh, approach to the same same idea of this sort of. But but that's different. Right. That's not really like Diners, Drive-Ins and Dives is not about traveling to Jefferson City, Missouri, so that you can have surprisingly authentic Hawaiian food. Right. It's not like, okay, I'm in Jefferson City. This is the experience of being in Jefferson City. It's very much about the restaurants and the people doing the cooking. Whereas Anthony Bourdain, um, I would even venture to say even then the food is more central. And in these kinds of movies, they're not cooks. So the food is present in a very huge way. But it's not about what constitutes the food. It's about the sort of occasion for the enjoyment of the food that you're watching. Um, I, I mean, you, Matt, earlier you mentioned like the the midlife crises of these two men. Like, isn't yeah. isn't this really what these movies are about primarily? I mean, because like there's like there's the, there's marital infidelity. There's all this angst about, like you said, going getting older. Um, their relationships with the opposite sex. And Pete, you also mentioned there was some tragedy as well. Uh, I guess I guess spoiler for the trip to Greece. Like, what what bad thing befalls? Uh, oh, I mean, it's not a spoiler to say that the movie is structured around uh, Steve Coogan's father having a terminal illness, which uh, I don't know uh, if that is is something that is timed in a, in real life in a way that is related to the movie or not, which is part of what turned the movie off, turned me off from the movie a little bit was like, 
I don't know if this because they're mockumentaries because we've already talked about mockumentaries. They're fake documentaries. But, but, the, the but they are they're playing as is they're doing overthinking of podcasts, though, right? Like yes, the, yes, th- yes. the thing <laughs> that they're that they're doing and why it was so appropriate and why it struck me as I thought about it that, you know, it was really appropriate that we talked about this, like the um the thing that they're doing is uh, subjecting, you know, Greece, Italy, Spain, subjecting the fancy hotels and restaurants of Greece, Italy, Spain, and the Lake District uh, to a level of scrutiny they they probably don't deserve. And like all, you know, and like all good criticism, it's it's autobiography. So like it's mockumentary in the sense that uh, it is. Uh, it is a made thing, not a not a sort of documented thing, right? Like it is semi improvised, though not not completely improvised. Like certain things are, um, you know, certain things are uh, I, like their wives and their or ex wives and children and whatever aren't played by those actual people. There are some characters who actually go through all the uh, who actually go through all the films, like Steve's assistant uh, and a photographer who takes pictures of them for the for the magazine articles that they're they're writing about these things. But they're playing versions, exaggerated versions of themselves, much as much as we do. And so, like to call it mockumentary, I actually thought it was you know really interesting that we watched this this right after. Uh, right after a Christopher Guest mockumentary, because as much as I love some of the Christopher Guest mockumentaries, I like this more like between a, between a Christopher Guest mockumentary and a, the trip film, uh, I'll take a trip film, you know, every day of the week and twice wow. on Sunday. Oh, uh, was that, is that a hot take? I didn't, I didn't realize it, it, that is, that is a quite a hot take. Um, so, okay. You've done a good job explaining about what these movies are and their loose structure, and it's like it's very much like kind of a hangout. Is it fair to say it's a hangout movie, right? Um, and yeah. you know, to the and, extent that it's you, clear that it's about the people in the movie hanging out with each other, this is not a movie that you would watch hanging out with your friends. It's <laughs> yeah, like yes, you're yeah, being that, that, invited yeah, right. into an intimate conversation with them. This is a British movie where you're not supposed to talk while you're watching. Mm-hmm. Right? Like it's you're supposed to watch them uh, talk. So I'll go on to say that these movies are not everyone's cup of tea. You know, these are British movies, not everyone's cup of tea. Um, I, I'm not. I, I for for some reason I saw two of them and like you know appreciated them. And you know, if uh, certainly because you know, as you mentioned, Matt, this, it has an overthinking podcast quality to it. But well, you know, I do and make and, and listen to podcasts for that sort of thing. I don't necessarily quite you know plug myself down uh, to focus on a movie for a couple of hours for the sort of thing. So all that is to say, like, you know, I don't love these movies and I'm curious to hear why you do and why, in fact, you would favor it over our beloved Christopher Guest documentaries. Why I'm, why, why would I make that stupid choice? Oh, yes. come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> don't act like Steve Coogan. Like, like everything that's a potential criticism is, is a dagger. It's <laughs> just sort of part of his personality. And he's just, you were just supposed to blow the bloody doors. <laughs> she was only 17. She was just she 17. Was 17. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that, that is another important uh, similarity, right, between the overthinking at podcast and these movies, is they do celebrity voices, yeah. which, of course, we are very fond of here. Uh, which, of course, we are very fond of here. Come, come, oh, Matt, come. Matt, go on. Why do you like these movies? Come, come, Mr. Fenzel. You like to misconstrue your friend's statements as much as I do. Um, what, I, what I like... Uh, I, I like the aspect of the movie behind the movie. Like, I like that there is a strong sense of ulteriority, uh, in these films and that by, 
um, you know, by talking to, by talking about these other things, by joking around, by, you know, doing voices, by kind of improvising bits, by kind of needling each other a little bit about, about certain things. Um, they're, they're having a complete, a completely different conversation, uh, the whole time. And I find the, I find the interest, I find the sort of study in, uh, in developed world masculinity, um, kind of cultured, you know, intelligentsia masculinity. Uh, I find the sort of, uh, the study of, um, male friendships and, and insecurity and rivalry sort of sublimated in such a, uh, in such a weird way. Uh, as I, mean, I shouldn't say weird in, in such a particular way, um, to be fascinating. And I could, I could just, just watch it and watch it and watch it forever. The, um, you know, the, the stuff that they do be just because it's, uh, uh, it's funny. I watched these movies with my girlfriend and she couldn't believe how they were sniping at each other the whole, the whole time about my seven BAFTAs and my this and my that. And the, I, and I said, uh, and you know, I, I, didn't like plan to say this. I said, yeah, but they're saying, I love you to each other, like over and over and over. That's their way. You know, like that's, and, um, and actually in, in, they say different things to each other over the course of the four movies through these, uh, you know, through their, through their sort of interactions. Um, and that's, uh, you know, and that's kind of the the interesting thing across the the four films is to watch this this relationship develop and to watch them kind of work through uh you know in real time like some some issue and like the issue the issue in this one is mortality right and it's the you know the idea of you know the constellations of home and family of like odysseus coming home to penelope uh in the face of mortality it's the idea of history sort of going into those into those uh places and sort of looking around and realizing you know realizing the kind of the thousands of years millennia uh of humans with a, a sort of an interiority as rich as yours you know and a, a set of yeah, hopes and dreams and aspirations and uh you know dislike of dislike of citrus or whatever right like that the the plot point in in one of the meals like um that like uh as much as yours and that it all just passes away it all washes away it's funny that the um the review that i that i read of this film uh in a magazine online um i forget which one uh, actually linked to the scene in the sopranos where carmela goes to paris and is walking around paris and all of a sudden has an experience that you know i you guys have probably had i know i have where you just look around a very old place uh, or a place where you are i guess all places are equally old but um a place whose whose oldness, for whatever reason, becomes salient to you at that particular moment, and uh, think about all the people who have who have been there, who have lived, died, who have had stories, who have you know, um, who who right have have passed before you in that time, and realize that you are you know uh, that you are a drop in the ocean, um, the the kind of the ocean of humanity and the ocean of humanity's you know millennia long history, and that 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 like uh, that can be a very dislocating kind of experience a very profound and sometimes spiritual but also a very kind of disturbing experience uh sometimes and like carmela uh soprano has this realization and she th- she says something about how like all these people have 
lived and died and it all washes away and we too will wash away. And uh, I forget who it is who's, who's traveling with her, looks at her and says, how about she stands over there and I'll take a picture. <laughs> And that, like, <laughs> which is uh, to a certain extent a completely inadequate response, but a perfect response because it's it's the only available one. And so, like, the thing that they're dealing with in the trip to Greece is uh, is mortality, mortality in history. And so, yeah, the the fact that that Steve Coogan's uh, father um, go, enters the hospital uh, or goes in hospital uh, as the you know that's the fancy British way of saying it, um, and he. Uh, you get the sense that like this has happened more than once that he's been ill for a while uh it in itself it's not necessarily um it's not necessarily remarkable because he's been in and out but this time he he happens to pass away and steve coogan has not like cut short his trip his work trip uh or pleasure trip like you know and hasn't gone gone to see it and his son uh was there the the character of his son was there you know um Sort of shepherding the unseen, the unseen character of his father uh, into the end of his life, and that, like, uh, at the, you know, there's actually I don't know if they show one of the pictures. Oh, they, it's a dream sequence where it's uh, Aeneas and his son, whose name I forget, and his father Anchises fleeing Troy, right? And that you think of like the famous, you think of the famous statue of that or the painting or something called Child Labor, right? Which is uh, Aeneas leading his son by the hand and bearing his father on his back as they they flee the ruins of of Troy, uh, and you know the the sort of the uh, place of the the place of any one person in history and the the role of kind of fathers and sons of patrimony of uh, of you know mortality and confronting it and then what a what a friend and like a trip with a friend means in that uh, in that setting. Like I, I found it like a little, a, a little difficult to watch as I, you know, as we age, like, uh, I'm, I'm a month away from turning 40 and, and just because it ends, um, it ends with a zero. It's one of those, it's, it's one of those birthdays that gives you the big thoughts, the big round thoughts, the big zero round, like a zero. Um, and, uh, you know, so it, it was, a, it's a little, um, you know what it's maybe the second half of my life if i you know if i am very lucky and and kind of entering that it was difficult to watch and it's also i mean i i think actually we should stick a pin in in this topic and come back it's it's interesting to watch a travel movie under quarantine it's it's um there's something uh that kind of like sublime pang of romantic poetry that you're supposed to get where you're like where you're joyous and sad um like the the ode on melancholy or something like burst joy's grape against your palate fine um but not citrus because rob bryden can't eat citrus and and uh mm-hmm. you know that's how that's how that goes so mark that's i mean that's you know that's that's why i got really over the course of these films over the course of the last 10 years um and i saw the first one in theaters uh the uh the story the kind of the ulterior story has has become very meaningful to me yeah so the the counter the the other consideration is that if you're at all in a vulnerable place because of the stuff going on with the pandemic don't watch this movie it will upset it has a very good chance of upsetting you a great deal so so that's that's just fair warning this if you're going to watch a trip movie watch one of the other ones if you're feeling vulnerable because they are not as heavy or dark as this one quite uh and uh and i found it pretty hard to watch given the situation but um 
but you know, the situation you mean being, being locked up and stuff. Yeah. You know, with lots of people, hundreds of thousands and millions of people, you know, dying or in risk of dying from this horrible global plague and, and like uh and, and my you know your your own being scared for your own parents and stuff like that it's it's all it's all very present and uh you know there's a certain amount of tolerance uh in terms of the sort of human animal's ability to comprehend and and deal with uh suffering that you need to be a little bit mindful of i guess um in terms of the reality of it i mean i don't know how real it is for anybody or or any of that, um, even to the extent that it, I'm sort of losing my words over it. Uh, I mean, also having just had a child and being pretty, rather sleep deprived was another part of it, I think, too. Um, there's just there's a lot going on in this movie. It is not a light, conversational, funny movie like the other ones. It is a I mean, it even has like Ingmar Bergman segments, right, of sort of like the grim specter of death, you know, Kara. Uh, Karen taking them across the sticks, right? Uh, it's, if you were it's, it's, if you were if you were to go back and look at them again, you, you'd be surprised at how this kind of melancholy tone, uh, yeah. g- kind it's of weaves. Probably, it's probably me who's different. We've right? well, yeah, fair yeah. fair enough. This yeah. one, I where where you're right is that this one is explicitly about death. And that's, you know, and I, I say that on the day we're recording this on the Sunday where the, you know, the New York Times published a list of 1000 people, a, a sample of those who have died in the United States from COVID-19 and and like two word capsule biographies of them. Beloved great grandfather, <laughs> like that, yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. of thing. And I have, by some, the way, I, yeah, yeah. I, I held, I think Matt, you're about to say this, like, are you holding the hard copy of that in your hands? Yeah. Well, I'm looking at it. It's on the, is just, it's, it's super heavy. Yeah. It's on the, everyone's been, everyone's been tweeting it. Everyone's been like Instagramming the uh, picture of the front page and it doesn't like, unless you have it in that like 18 inch by 24 inch, that actual like d- sort of tombstone sized yeah. broadsheet newspaper thing. It has a whole uh, other valence. It's sitting on my kitchen table. I'm looking at it right now. And that like, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's rough and, and granted it's rough and like, you know, practice, practice self-care and don't, uh, don't be uh, uh, unkind to yourself, but um, I don't know. I th- to me, to me anyway, there was there was a great deal of beauty that sort of balanced out the 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 horror of the uh, of the stuff. But that you know, that's I'm that's where I'm at, and you know, you may be uh, in a completely Mile- different mileage may it. vary. But I mean, that's fair. You know, that's how you experienced it. That's legit. That's how you experienced it for sure. Yeah. So I find it interesting, like, you know, we're talk- we we took a pretty dark turn here, but let's go back to the lighter fare in this, right? Like, what would you have if you, and I'm probably someone who probably has done this on YouTube, is just have a cut that is purely celebrity voices, banter, <laughs> and then the man in the box voice. <laughs> that's it, of all the movies. <laughs> <laughs> that's like that's like that in of itself is a Steve Coogan movie. The making of the version of the trip that isn't sad. <laughs> so, okay, so like let's assume that that exists out there, and you could basically cobble that together by uh, searching this on YouTube, and um, there's probably some people play those together, or you can just do it yourself, right? Like, isn't that interesting? That like that is a thing that can stand alone and be enter- entertaining, completely ripped out of the context of the weightier uh, subject matter that's interspersed in between? 
Yeah, yeah, that, that you could that that you could that you can make YouTube videos out of these movies and watch them out and watch the funny bits out of context if you want is definitely is definitely something that's interesting. That's um, I mean our our teacher Pete, Pete my teacher John Hollander peace be upon him is you know was very fond of pointing out that the the proper opposition is not between funny and serious. Um, many serious things are are, are but rather between uh, frivolous and mm. serious and funny and solemn uh that being a matter of tone and frivolous and serious being a matter of of essentiality uh i guess to to use a word that's taken on a whole new valence in in recent weeks right that, so uh many things that are solemn are completely frivolous are very stupid <laughs> and uh many things that are serious can be uh can be quite funny right and that like you know the the um in the sense, the death, it's, of, the death of Stalin, which we talked about. <laughs> good example. That was that's another one that's kind of rough when you think of the yeah. you know yeah, you, you know great historical evil and like tens of millions dead and and stuff. But uh, you know, but then there, uh, but then there's Simon Russell Beale like running around the doing pratfalls. Um, so yeah, that, that like, and here it, there's almost a, a like modernist sense, uh, these fragments I have shorn against my ruin, you know, the, the, the idea that like the fragments of celebrity voices, uh, you know, whatever, uh, whatever we have are the things that, you know, keep us going, you know, when, when, uh, when it turns out that April is the cruelest month. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and uh, you know, past April is definitely in the running. <laughs> yeah, among the among the cruel months, it's up there. You know, <laughs> among the Aprils. Yeah, in- include in your in your uh, in your program of the greatest basketball player of all time YouTube videos. Do some like cruelest Aprils of all time or cruelest months of all time <laughs> YouTube videos. The goat of cruel months. As it were. Yeah. Um. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so the Pete did the did the res, did the epic uh, stuff and the idea of like an Odyssey uh, resonate with you at all, or was it more the kind of the tragic associations that that uh, resonated on your watching? Uh, I think that the notion of the Odyssey being a contention was in there a bit. Uh, I thought that the the idea that you're sort of striving, right, and the sort of and also the kind of. Uh, the foolishness of the striving and the, the sort of sensuality of it as well all seem to be part of it. I think that one of the things it didn't have is it didn't really offer, I guess it did offer a, a sort of context for going home, but it didn't really offer a, um, a sort of social mandate of a similar sort to an epic, right? Well, if you're thinking about, you know, the Odyssey and the Iliad as the sort of the journey from the social to the individual, or, or the journey from the individual to the social and the sort of why is society the way that it is. I don't think that the movie approached it on that direction, which is not the only direction you can take, obviously, but it's one of the directions that you can take interpreting an epic, right, as a sort of foundational document for a way of organizing people and ways of living um, and and sort of making a case for a certain sort of way. And I don't – and I guess to the extent that this is a comedy, it's also about how the way that these men engage with the odyssey – is I, I, farcical is probably the wrong word, but absurd. 
right? Mm-hmm. Like the 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 way that they the way the the sirens right calling to them is them deciding to have a swim race against each other, where the women on the shore say go so they can race, right? And it's silly because neither of them are good swimmers, although it turns out they're both great swimmers. I guess that sequence lasts long enough. It's like, hey, they're they're pretty good swimmers. Yeah, they're about, they're actually, they're really holding up. Like, I'm not sure I would have the air to do that, you know. Yeah. Without a break like that. Yeah, yeah, and I guess that. Um, but 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 I don't I don't get the sense I didn't get the sense that the homes were. I mean, I guess they were somewhat validated. I don't know. Um, they don't. They're, they're, the sense of why didn't feel like a dwelling presence. In these in this particular story for me, like, why is all this happening? Uh, Why are why do people make the choices to do what they do? And what are the consequences of making the choices that they do? Maybe it's that because the characters don't have impactful choices um, in the in the movie, per se. Not really, I guess. Well, because Steve Coogan's choice is one of, you know, he is one of ignorance, right? His, His sort of choice to not go home. He doesn't necessarily have a good reason to think that he needs to. Uh, to go see his father. Um, but that's the sort of big dramatic choice of the movie is whether Steve Coogan's going to abandon his trip, right? And and I and I I was trying to follow is is it who is there was a lot of silhouettes and it was kind of I was kind of distracted, but like who was sleeping around on the trip? Was it the married guy that was sleeping around or was it Coogan that was No, it was him. It's, well sleeping around. They that the photographer and he have had an on again, off again thing over a course of a couple oh, of the movies. Gotcha. So that wasn't like a sort of well, because I was I got a little bit confused because they had just talked about Leonard Cohen and we had done that previous movie about Idra, right? Where Idra was this sort of free love drug place. Where people, you know, engage and destroy, went to go destroy their lives, basically, right? Um, AKA be artists, um, and so it happened right around the time where they were in Idra, Hail Hydra, and uh, <laughs> and so I'm thinking, okay, is this the sort of Leonard Cohen moment where we're seeing somebody get kind of pulled into the the sort of sensuality of of Greek island life, uh, and and it's sort of separation from Anglo-Saxon, you know, work ethic. <laughs> which is the sort of weird, perverse way that foreigners deal with this place that real people, you know, this is actually a home for people who live there all the time. Uh, but uh, not, it's not just the place you go to bone. <laughs> this is somebody's, <laughs> this is, this is somebody's uh, birthplace, too. But at any rate, it's, um, I think because of the context of that part of the story being in Idra, I didn't understand the significance of that sex scene. And, and, and I didn't, well, it's not a full-on sex scene, but that sort of morning after scene, right? And and I had trouble putting together what how it was related to each of their relationships. How is it related to the notion of Odysseus and say like Calypso? It is weird to do an Odyssey without Calypso. I'll uh-huh. say that much. That's weird, right? Um, although it's not weird to do an Odyssey where they get close to Ithaca, but then he doesn't actually get home and has to kind of and he doesn't actually get there rather. But have, I don't know. It's tricky. Is this all making sense in terms of the sort of way I was wrestling with? Yeah, the, it is. It did the structure. Um, I think, uh, yeah, it didn't, it didn't necessarily, it didn't sort of, the, the home, it's funny because the Odysseus, the sort of the venture, the kind of venturing sort of sorrowful Odysseus and the domestic Odysseus are two, are split into two different characters, right? Like, cause Rob, yeah. Rob is the one with the, like the happy family life, um, though, though even that, like there was a, a sort of great detail in, 
of of kind of relationship, kind of long term relationship realness, where he uh, facetimes home and talks to his daughter who's with the babysitter because mom is out like seeing a movie or something like that, right. and like the idea that like Penelope is not at home, you know, weaving and unweaving her tapestry, like and and waiting for you, like Penelope just decided to go see a movie, and right, right, you know, right. and it's not there's nothing wrong, and yet there is this sort of moment of like well you know the person i want isn't in the place that i want at this moment and that's that's sad you know even even as you know as mature as we are and as reasonable as we are it's sort of like oh i wish i could talk to to my partner and like they're not there like that's a uh a, a momentary sadness and like um the uh the way it's handled and then the way that like she meets him uh on Ithaca at the end, like, you know, leaves the kids with a babysitter or an aunt or whatever. I mean, it's not important and it's not addressed in the movie. Like and they they uh but the the husband and wife sort of reunite on this uh windy this windy Greek isle, uh while this, you know, somber minimalist Michael Nyman song plays and uh uh Steve Cooking goes home to to deal with the death of his father. Like those those are two those those are both Odysseus things, and they're kind of split up in uh, in the bit of a in the bit of a strange way. You, I, I actually like. Yeah, it would have been a stronger thing, and maybe maybe this is sort of developed in the uh, uh, in the long form version of these more, but um, it, that it would have been a stronger thing if they had got trapped somewhere you know because yeah. the whole thing about odysseus's trip is that it's actually it's you know 10 percent trip and and 90 percent uh shacking up with calypso <laughs> right he only he's not actually odysseying for 10 years no. right? <laughs> it's a long time to be camping no yeah he's odysseying a lot at the beginning then there's a long middle stretch in which he's not odysseying and then he's uh he's uh odysseying a little bit at the end i did like the the rob Brydon joke about like uh you know i Oh, I couldn't camp outside the gates of Troy for 10 years. I can camp maybe for a week if I have a pillow. Yeah. <laughs> it's a long time to go. Right. Camp. Yeah. If, the, if these characters encounter serious uh, logistical challenges in their travels, they become very different movies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, so it's. It's sorry. One one last thought about about this before it's completely cashed out. I'm really interested, Pete, in your, your thing about like they don't make consequential choices, and they don't. I wonder if that's that's one of the things that made it feel kind of perfunctory or maybe overly truncated. Uh, in the first film, um, there is a great sequence. It's you know two or three minutes, a uh, uh, significant chunk of screen time of. Uh, the two of them looking at the two hotel rooms that they've been assigned because it's not clear which one is better. And Steve Coogan wants the better hotel room. (laughs) And that like, that this like, that this is a consequential choice, you know, that they have to make, um, the, the two of them. So, uh, yeah, sorry, sorry, Mark. I wanted to, to get that up before we pushed on. Sure. Um, so we talked about the whole notion of travel, uh, during, you know, these unprecedented times, as we like to say, um, as a way to get into that, um, I think it's important to talk about the context of two Englishmen who are traipsing about continental Europe, right? Now, the first one, of course, you know, they go to uh, the north of uh, England. It's not Scotland. It's the Lake Countries in the north of England, right? Yep. Um, but then, you know, they leave their backyard and then they go to Italy, Spain, and Greece, like very much 
Southern Europe. And I, I think on this podcast, we've talked, uh, you know, we've contrasted Northern Europe with Southern Europe in all sorts of different ways, right? Um, you know, Northern Europe having this sort of a, a bit more sort of buttoned up idea. And then Southern Europe is more romantic, uh, more more sexual, more sensual. Warmer. Um, warmer. The food is better there certainly than it is in England. Um, and then you also have this thing, Pete, that you've talked about before, I think, with the Grand Tour. Right, where Englishmen, yeah. like, you know, go explore the continent, again, you know, speaking of sensuality, sleep with women, uh, and, like, kind of sow their wild oats before they have to go back to boring old England, right? Like, and, and Matt, have you seen all these movies here, right? So is any of that, I mean, it seems, is that just on the nose? That's part of what's at play here? Or well, it's you know, just they're, they're not at that time of life is the thing that sort of doesn't right. doesn't activate that to me. They're, and they're also not going, like, if they did the, you know, the trip to North Africa or something like that, like, the trip to, like, former British overseas possessions, you know, um, <laughs> like, that it would be a different... Uh, I, I would I would see it differently, but it just doesn't. That's kind of not the the tenor of that, and they know uh, they know enough um, as comics to sort of make themselves low status to the places, uh, but but kind of trying to look high status. So the the uh, they're more clowns than they are colonizers. You know, they're they're kind of inadequate to the. Um, they're they're sort of inadequate to the task, uh, and they're they're also always undercutting each other. Like in the first movie, when they get to one of the beautiful you know vistas that they look out upon, someone is uh, I think Rob has learned a long bit of Wordsworth or Shelley or something like that, and recites it. And Steve looks up at him and goes, "You you you learned that last night, so you could do that today here, didn't you?" It's like, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I, I did. I think here there is. I think there is a joke here. And I, maybe the joke is that these two guys who are, of course, obsessed is, as their characters are with their fleeting youth, right? And these sort of end and they're sort of uh, oncoming uh, middle and old age are, are on this trip to these places where by default you would expect them to be having a sort of adventure trip and drinking a lot and getting in trouble and causing a ruckus, but they're not two dudes. They're really a married couple, right? Like they, uh. they travel like married couples travel, right? With the sort of little bits of the shared meals and the sort of uh, chit chat and the sort of long conversations um, in beautiful places, right? It's sort of a stereotype of, of a married couple that's, that's going to have its arguments either at home like that great adam sandler sketch right like if you if you don't like yourself at home you're not going to like yourself in italy right so like i i can i can i can take you on a hike i cannot make you into a person who likes hiking is <laughs> how he says it in that sketch right which we've talked about before on the podcast and so i think there is something of that sort of hot-bloodedness that you would expect there to be in this movie of these two dudes traveling to spain italy and to a lesser extent greece that's that's embedded in the joke that they are something of a gender bent couple with each other. And I guess, I guess the joke there too, is that, you know, Steve Coogan of the two of them, Rob Brydon comes off as needing Steve Coogan's approval more than Steve Coogan needs Rob Brydon's approval in the sense that Rob Brydon needs Steve Coogan to laugh at his jokes. Right. Like Rob Brydon is constantly making jokes and, and trying to get validation for the jokes he's making. And so there's this joke there where it's like, I need you to like me or like what I'm doing. And Steve Coogan is kind of constantly shooting it down or denying it. But Steve Coogan is terribly lonely. 
And, and, and so there's this sense that they each sort of want something from each other that could be provided in the context of a relationship that's that's a sort of singular relationship in their life. But of course, they're friends. Right. And sort of and sort of, as we know, male friendship is a difficult subject uh, to, to, to nail down. And no, it isn't. Shut up. <laughs> and I guess now that comes around to the more baseline expectation of what the movie is about, which is about these guys uh, and, and being guys and, you know, guys being guys as they eat pasta. Right. Or risotto in this case. Right. Which is that whole thing about like, you know, they have a discussion about whether they should commit assisted suicide. And uh, and the the conclusion, the, the conclusion from it is that they should continue with the risotto. Um, yeah, this is a real laugh riot of a movie, folks. <laughs> right. that sounds, I mean, that sounds funny to me. I mean, but Mark, the, the uh, where I'm I'm interested in taking your question to the the. Uh, domain of of just sort of travel in general and like do you you know you're a, a, a frequent traveler um i less so these days uh you know and pete you've you've done your fair share and and you've been traveling with your wife and stuff and that like uh how do you think about those trips and kind of is that what you miss i mean do you miss going going down to the corner bar more uh, or do you miss sort of the idea of like jetting around the world or you know into other places more now and like how are you thinking about how are you thinking about travel and kind of the lack of travel uh, as a you know as a feature of your life right now well it's almost june and uh we were originally planned to go on a big family cruise to various mediterranean countries including greece uh, at the end of June, and that is obviously not happening. And so all this is is is, is pretty close to the top of mind. Like I I miss it a lot. I will say. Like I don't know about you guys, but like I'm doing this like incredibly sad thing, where I pull up my iPad and I go through old vacation photos. It's it's some kind of parody of myself, right? And every once in a while, I post them to Instagram. You know, basically say like you know four years ago, you know I was in wherever. What do you ever you know fabulous European destination? Back when travel was a thing. Dot dot dot. It isn't anymore. Um, it makes me in- incredibly nostalgic to see, even just like watching the trailer of you know, you know like uh, you know, crystalline ocean, uh, ocean waters and fabulous dining locations. That notion of really transporting yourself and and getting away, uh, even for just like a week or two, um, from your everyday and how that rejuvenates. Uh, your your own spirit and relationships and uh, with other people and, and, and family and, and relationship with your home and, and, and all the things that you do at home. All that is really real and, and tactile. Um, so, yeah, I'm not immune to that sense of loss at all. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think that I, I I do. I guess I miss it to an extent just because I, I wasn't necessarily expecting. I mean, it is weird to have a newborn baby during this time period because we weren't going to be traveling anyway. But it does mean nobody comes to see us. Mm. So so that's the thing that's been bothering us more. But if I were to think about and I guess when I think about traveling, I do like to talk to the people in the places where I go. And uh, that's also something they don't do too much of in the trip movies. They don't they don't show too earnest of an interest, which is part of the joke of their myopia, right? That they don't show too earnest of an interest of the people that they meet on the trip. Uh, They're mostly talking to each other about movies that they watched 20 years ago, (laughs) rather than appreciating the the location and the way that people live and whether it's different or the same or any of that stuff. 
Um, but there is, I mean, there's kind of a joke about, about British tourists taking package vacations in Europe and they go to, you know, these little resorts on package vacations where they eat, you know, a br- regular British breakfast with the, the, broiled tomato and the the sausages and the you know fried egg and bacon and stuff like that and like they sort of create a little bubble uh around they create a little bubble around themselves of like you know the the kind of the safe uh travel experience or the familiar travel experience so that you can like go to a nice beach but but uh you know have the have the sausages you like i i feel like there is a similar thing going on here with like fancy you know with like wealthy people fancy food you know where it's like all the all the uh espresso powder and all the like all the ingredients when they're when they're listed off really could be anywhere you know it's it's it could be las vegas or it could be dubai or it could be you know new york los angeles chicago like uh, uh tokyo like it's fedex fedex cuisine that they uh that the sort of uh transnational you know moneyed class money leisure class sort of um sort of eats and like as as a member of this you can as a member of this cadre you can sort of go anywhere in the world and find a you know a place to serve you your your you know desiccated squid with you know shaved freeze-dried fennel and uh uh yuzu reduction or something like that where where um you know wherever you want uh but mark i'll i'll go you one better in the in the sad uh sort of pathetic things we do being stuck at home the other day i pulled up google maps on my uh pulled up google maps on my phone did street view of a foreign city uh airplayed it to the television and took a walking tour of a uh of a european city with uh by you know tapping around on my phone with the the google street view and walked walked up and down um walked up and down westminster in london i guess was the the place where i i particularly did and i thought like ooh this is fun i'm going to do this again with uh, with other cities you know uh the the main problem i had with it was that it is a little um the the perspective the weird fisheye lens that they use uh and the kind of the extreme distortions at the edges of the frame means it's a, like it was a little motion sickness inducing to watch it on a on a t- tv size screen as opposed to on your phone where the the it doesn't take over your perspective in quite the same way it oh, that's such a interesting experience right because like it is like i mean if you get close enough to your tv or if you strap on your virtual reality goggles which i'm sure matt rather you own um it becomes a bit immersive of an experience right you know like it can occupy a large part of your field of view but it's frozen uh in time right and and uh and then you like then you start to miss the vitality of what it would be like to actually be on the street and smell and and hear all the sounds and all that kind of stuff yeah sure be able to buy a hot dog at a you know at a guy at the stand under an umbrella or something like that like that's yeah that's the thing you know the thing that that i sort of miss and like you know with anthony bourdain and whatever like i i do i find that like the experiences of eating in places are uh definitely like um some of the most grounded in terms of like experiencing uh experiencing a place um you know that that i can have yeah. uh yeah 
And just to be clear, uh, because we, we talked about Anthony Bourdain at least a couple of times in this, right? Like these characters in these in, across these four movies, do they, they don't ever like go eat street food or go to the market? Um, are they are they ever? No, it's all depicted? it's all fancy. It's all fancy restaurants. Oh yeah, it's all fancy restaurants all the time. Which it's, it's it's explicit in some of the earlier movies, I think. In this movie, it's just like they don't even need to discuss it. <laughs> like they all By the way, are doing. that gets super tiring. I mean, not to say that like I've... You I, mean in real I, life, not in the movie. In real life, yes. Yeah. Uh, not that I say that I've ever had like, you know, gone on a vacation and done fine dining like, you know, five nights in a row like I think they do in these movies. But like even like, you know, what, two meals or two days in a row, um, you start to get like, oh. Oh, it's ex- it's exhausting. It's like uh, hashtag it's, first world problem. Am I right, guys? It's, it's uh, you know, but you do it because, like Downton Abbey, you know, it's good that someone is doing it right. You know, it's good that someone is is holding is a standard bearer for uh, you know the consumption of luxury goods. Plus, that's what other people want to see, right? That's what you read about for write about for the Evening Standard. Is that uh, although I guess there's plenty of evidence that people do like seeing people go and eat at you know say diners or drive-ins or dives or places like that. So, <laughs> per oh, se. crossover movie! Can you imagine that? <laughs> the Guy, the, Guy Fieri, the trip to Flavor Town. Yeah, yes, it would be yes. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they should make it right now, basically. Uh, I mean, they can't make it right now because no one can travel, but um, <laughs> pretty funny. But them doing the I – feel, I feel like uh, you know Steve Coogan could read that, would actually be a very good live interpreter of that review, that New York Times review of, uh, of the Times Square Guy Fieri Flavortown restaurant that was all interrogative, you know, the, that was all um, – questions a, a litany yeah. of questions to guy fieri uh you, you read that i know i i don't mean to to uh, uh you know slag off guy fieri your your hero but the the uh <laughs> <laughs> but you know you know the the times piece i mean right oh yeah of course definitely so yeah i think we've all read it at this point um well cool all right, let's let's uh let's close with going around the horn. Uh, what 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 is something you've cooked uh, recently that you um uh, that you're quite happy with? Uh, anything anything you like that you've that you've made under quarantine? A meal? Uh, maybe maybe not stacking up to the uh, you know to the the fish the the disassembled reassembled fish that we see <laughs> served to the uh, to the guys in this movie, but maybe uh, you know I don't know something that uh, that. Can gives a flavor of homer of, of comfort i don't know what do you what do you think uh pete what do you got oh man um we've been making some good breakfasts i think i made i made some really good steel cut oatmeal uh you know with milk cooked a real long time uh a little some you know brown sugar and and uh a variety of other you know fine flavorings and blueberries and uh uh, I, I think I was particularly proud of that oatmeal. I've made a few oatmeals recently, but that one that one felt special. So I will say my the steel cut oats in the saucepan. Uh, I believe the recipe was from Cooking Light, so it's quite exotic, right? <laughs> it's, <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, that, I think that went over really well. Pete, Pete and his oats meal. Uh, <laughs> Mark, what do you got? I've been making some killer kimchi quesadillas recently. Basically, mm. you take uh, kimchi, uh, saute that. Until it gets nice and uh, caramelized, leftover meat of whatever sort—pork, chicken—doesn't really matter. Um, and then you know, 
tortilla, flour tortilla and cheese, and it's freaking delicious. Uh, side of sour cream, guacamole, something like that to take a little bit of the edge off of the spice. Highly recommend it. But kimchi quesadilla, the uh, the, the Korean Mexican uh, fusion. God's gift to food, uh, I highly recommend. Yeah, that's uh, Roy Choi built his culinary empire in Los Angeles on the kimchi quesadilla. So it yeah, is a, it's a thing. Yeah, there are better. There are uh, um, there are a few better combinations. I uh, let's see. I've I've been making pasta sauce, like jars, jarring up my own pasta sauce in, in little mason jars, and then cooking. Uh, cooking pasta and, and dumping out my own my own sauce um that's pretty good but yeah i guess a lot of the stuff that like uh a lot of the stuff that's been really comforting is sort of breakfast related a lot of it having to do with kind of egg sandwiches so like uh there's the uh the coffee shop near my apartment sells uh english sells like pantry staples now um and uh english muffins you can get like a pack of english muffins that they make their their on-site sandwiches with and i've been making egg sandwiches in the morning egg, egg sandwiches with homemade sausage egg sandwiches with bacon egg sandwiches with you know melted cheese and arugula salad egg sandwiches with sriracha hot sauce on them you know egg sandwiches egg sandwiches egg sandwiches all egg sandwich with, with a yuzu reduction um yeah i mean i i uh i guess like the the biggest i mean the most comforting thing i've been making i guess is i make chicken stock in the in the pressure cooker which is um cool it cuts down the time you need to do it and uh getting good results with that and then i use some of that stock to make chicken and dumplings which is uh you know super comforting uh food more of a more of a winter than a summer dish but uh time has lost all meaning and and honestly i just uh you know just uh eat the the warm thing because it it feels good um well thanks very much for listening and thanks to pete and mark for podcasting we hope you feel good uh wherever you are uh wherever you have traveled and whatever you have eaten we hope uh it has uh, nourished and sustained you and that you're doing well we'll be back next week with more overthinking it podcast till then visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it It probably probably doesn't doesn't deserve deserve. Mike Kine would say it probably doesn't deserve (laughs) 